Um, if this is your first time with us today, we're super glad you're here. Uh, we're continuing a series of scripture talks called Voices. And um, a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago now, we talked about turning down certain voices, turning down the volume. Um, there can be like a cacophony of voices that come at us that can feel overwhelming. And uh, so we, we just were reminded of the need for us to um, protect our hearing and to just turn down the volume deliberately. And uh, it helps us tune in, as we talked about the next week, about the guiding voice of the Spirit and how the Spirit invites us, directs us, empowers us, superintends us. And uh, we listen for the whisper of the Spirit. And then uh, last week, Pastor Gary helped us with this idea of recognizing the source. The Apostle Peter had a few different dynamics going on that he was somewhat oblivious to. The Father was revealing the Messiah to him. And um, the evil one was prompting him, and he was functioning out of a natural place. There were a lot of dynamics going on. So recognizing the source. And if you're, uh, again, new to us or perhaps new to church, and you're thinking, I went to church, and they talked about hearing voices. Um, we're, we're not talking about the, the physical audio, uh, you know, tuning in our physical ears to a, a voice. We're talking about tuning our spirit um, our soul, our minds, and listening for the messages and being discerning. Um, as we've already been talking about during this series, there's a host of messages that come to us. And if we're just like a sponge that receives everything and gives equal uh, weight uh, to each voice, we're going to find ourselves being saturated with all sorts of conflicting messages, number one, but also some confusing ones. And, and we're not going to be moving and making progress along the narrow way with Jesus. And so we have to be really deliberate and intentional about what we listen to and who we listen to. And, um, and so this has been the teaching theme. Now this morning, uh, we're going to be honest enough to talk about how we also contribute to those voices. We have a voice that we use. And uh, we need to use it well. So we're going to talk today about using our best voice. Uh, we have a best version of ourselves. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, we become the best version of ourselves. And again, if we're listening and we're sensitive enough to the, the feelings of the, the Spirit as he prompts us and sometimes makes efforts to restrain us, We'll know when we're using our voice well, and we'll know when we're not using our voice so well. And um, so we're going to talk about the use of our voice today during this, uh, this teaching. And um, we've already heard this passage read this morning, but it's worth just um, highlighting two or three of the verses from James chapter 3. Here's one of the challenges all of us face. There are no perfected people in this room yet. Um, thanks be to God, there will be a day. For those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus, when we breathe our last this side of heaven and we step over the threshold into the world to come and we're in the uninterrupted presence of God, we will be made perfect. Uh, there will be no lower nature to drag us down. Uh, there will be no more enticing of the sinful nature or of the world or of the evil one. Uh, we will be at home with God and we will be um, fully reclaimed, redeemed, sanctified. We will be saved from ourselves, from the world, and from the evil one. Uh, but between now and then, we're working out, as the, the writer of the scripture says, we're working out our salvation. 
not working for it, we're working it out, which means that there is intended to be progress along the narrow way of the gospel. But every human in this room today has moments when there are setbacks and there are missteps and there is a measure of regression that happens. It'd be great if we said the Christian life is always up and to the right, but it's more like there's a series of ups and downs. And over time, over time, as we look back, we recognize the maturity that God has produced in us. Um, and so our words are one of the ways we stumble. That's what James says. It is one of the smallest members of the body, but it makes great boasts. And then he says it itself is like set on fire by an ungodly source. And so we can do tremendous damage with our words. And, and this is what James writes here. He says, with the tongue, which we were doing just a few moments ago, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. So we gather for worship, we're led into singing songs of praise and thanksgiving, and then moments later or hours later, we find ourselves criticizing, slandering, gossiping, speaking poorly of one another, you name it. But this is what James says. He says, um, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same stream? He's saying here, unfortunately it does, but it shouldn't. And uh, the natural order of things when we're in step with the spirit is that we will speak words that are life-giving. So I'm actually really looking forward to this teaching today because it is incredibly relevant for every single one of us. In fact, we never give a teaching here unless it's relevant and all of scripture speaks to us. And so we're going we're gonna to unpack uh, a few passages today as we move through our teaching theme. But James points out the incongruity between blessing God's holy name and cursing our neighbor. And it just seems sometimes, if we're going to be really honest, it can almost feel overwhelmingly instinctive on occasions when all of a sudden it just seems so natural and perhaps even so right, even though we know at the core of ourselves it's not, to say things, either return in kind to somebody, by not being very kind, return in kind to someone the very same thing that was shared with us, or we find ourselves tempted to share knowledge or information about somebody else that's not very becoming, and we end up hurting them along the way. And so this is for all of us today. Nobody has arrived yet, and so we all have something to learn, and we all have some grace that we can receive. So our passage to ponder today is from Hebrews chapter 3. If you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to recite this together. The words are on the screen. And so uh, it goes like this. Would you join me? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So uh, John Ortberg, uh, who is an incredibly gifted writer, he is um, just so good with his words. Um, he wrote about how scripture um, gives us this, uh, what does he call it? It's a sin-word um, ratio. So the degree to which we use our words often there is a correlation to sin. For example, the more words we speak, the more often we will sin. This is a biblical idea. The writer of Proverbs says, uh, where words are many, sin is not absent. Where words are many, sin is not absent. So if I can reduce my words, I'll probably reduce my sinning. 
That's sort of what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Uh, it's said two different ways. Um, the, the, uh, the English Bible says, with lots of words comes wrongdoing, but the wise restrain their lips. And then the New Living Translation says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. That's not a paraphrase. That's right out of the New Living Translation. I was always told not to say Shut up. It's not a nice thing. But scripture is scripture, and it says keep your mouth shut. So, um, uh, Question for you. Who do you think speaks more words, men or women? Ooh, 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 ooh. Jesus said he didn't come to bring division, right? He didn't. And here I am asking you. Who speaks more words, men or women? How many of you think women speak more words? All right. That's a dangerous question and a dangerous response. How many of you think men speak, speak more words? Okay, you are, the, you are the minority. So there was a study referenced, and it's been referenced frequently, that women speak 20,000 words a day, and men speak 7,000 words a day. <laughs> However, can I clear the air for just a moment? That is a myth. It has been debunked. Uh, there have been a series of research projects. University of Texas uh, has come out. So the myth is that women speak almost three times as many words as men. Uh, but the data, the research tells us that women speak only 3% more words than men. Do you believe that? Some do. Some not so much. Um, in some of the research I did this week, it was like, men will talk if you get them talking about the right things, right? When you say, uh, hey, how was your day? Good, right? That's, that's a man's response sometimes. But if you want to talk about the NFL football games that are on today, right, or how the Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup again this year, or some repair project on a car or a house or renovations of some sort, men can find their vocabulary. They can talk about some things. So um, both men and women, for the most part, generally use about the same amount of words. So we're speaking to everybody in this place today. So quantity matters, right? According to, to Proverbs, if we can bring down our words, the volume of our words will probably reduce our sinning. Where words are many, sin is not absent. Um, so quantity matters, but quality matters. I'm not talking about being a linguist here. Even though it's always nice when you hear somebody has a rich vocabulary, that's not what I'm asking or talking about today. We're talking about the qualitative nature of our words, how we speak to and about one another. Uh, this is a massive challenge in some church communities. Some churches can be ripped apart by the theme of this teaching this morning because people just talk too much and the qualitative nature of their speech is problematic and it hurts and wounds other people. So three big ideas for you today. Here's the first one. Words matter because they reveal hearts. Words matter because they reveal hearts. I took a course on evangelical spirituality a number of years ago by um, a professor named Dr. Gordon Smith, and, and he was out of Regent College, and, and he said that if you want to measure if you're making progress in the Christian life, if you want to understand um, the qualitative present real-time condition of your heart, think about these three things. He says, how you express your sexuality, 
He says how you manage your finances and how you use your words. And it's incredibly biblical, right? Jesus himself said, it's out of the heart where sexual immorality or adultery happens. It's from the heart. So if our sexual expression is off course, it's a reflection of our heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do you manage your finances? It's a heart revealer. And then our words, right? Um, it's out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says, that the mouth speaks. So if you want to know the condition of your heart, how healthy and orthodox, so to speak, as it relates to the way of Jesus is your sexual expression, your sexual experience, and how are you doing managing money? God's way. And what about the words that flow freely um, from your lips? This gives us an indication. Um, Jesus himself, Matthew 12, a tree is identified by its fruit. If you want to know if you're um, by an apple tree, pull what's off the branches. And if it's an apple, it's an apple tree. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. These are the words of Jesus. And so words reveal hearts. Uh, they're never just words. Um, they are indicators when you hear somebody and the quality of the words they choose, it's a heart indicator. And so uh, paying attention to what we think is tremendously important because before a word is formed on our tongue, there have been thoughts entertained in our minds. And so there's been a lot of conversation lately around this idea of slowing things down, paying attention, being present in the moment so that we're more aware of what we're thinking, what we're experiencing, what we're saying. And so we don't want to become obsessive about this, but we do want to pay attention. Before a word is formed on my tongue, it has been entertained in my mind. When someone says, I wasn't thinking, I just said it. It's like, well, no, you were thinking, and then you said it. Uh, the challenge is we weren't aware of what we were thinking, and the emotional piece was so intense and so strong that we were compelled, and it was like instinctive. We just got the words out. And so I don't know what I was thinking. I just said it. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes we, we say that we speak before thinking. It's really not true. It's all happening kind of in real time, but your brain is telling your lips to open up and your tongue to form words. And so there is real time decision making that's happening. And this is where the life of following Jesus, um, we're not in the business of inviting people to come to a gathering like this and then laying out a host of rules that just gets longer and longer with each passing day. We're actually inviting you into the rule of Jesus where Jesus rules and reigns over your heart, over your mind. And so what happens now is I'm not charged with this um, calling to obey this list of things that I have to remember and keep straight. You have literally an operating system in your soul granted to you from heaven. The Holy Spirit has come and moved in to your heart and he will lead you and guide you. And when we get off course, he has this really gentle way of saying, oh, that wasn't the best version of you. 
That wasn't what I was inviting you to move toward. And so we can say in that moment really quickly, God, I'm sorry about that. I need to, I need to dial that back or say sorry to somebody else along the way. And so it's not about trying hard because that's exhausting. Trying hard to keep all the rules. It's about daily saying I'm coming under the rule of Jesus and allowing him to, uh, to govern my life, including my words. And so um, when we use words, we get this opportunity to imitate God. You know, the opening words of the Bible, uh, the Genesis account, Genesis chapter one, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said five days. He speaks things into existence. And so we can be generative with our words too. What's really interesting about the model in Genesis one is God speaks things into existence, days one through five, but then on day six, when he makes the masterpiece, the first man, the first woman, He actually forms them. He puts his fingerprints on them. We are image bearers, right? He scoops up the dust and he breathes. It's almost like when he made us as image bearers, no words would be sufficient. But at the very end, right? Day one through five, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Day six, it was very good. God uses his words generatively. They give life. Things come into existence when God speaks. But when he made you and he made me, he formed us. And he's not done forming us yet either. And he's not done speaking over us either. I say around here so often because I want you just to be able to get it deep into your soul. The first and last word spoken over your life is what? Maybe I don't say it enough. You are loved. The first and last word spoken over your life is you are loved. That's the truth. God affirms you. And he's also committed by his spirit to form you, to reform you into his image and his likeness. And so we get to partner with God when we use our words generatively. So the reason why words matter is because they reveal hearts. Number two, words matter, and this is the cautionary part of our teaching. Words matter because they carry the power to wound people. Ever been wounded by someone's words? All of us have grown up in families. We've had peer groups, friendships, times at the schoolyard, out in workplaces. Sometimes we're a little reckless with our words. And uh, we have the ability as humans to remember and to imagine. It's different than the other creatures. And when people have spoken harsh, mean-spirited words to us, they're hard to shake, aren't they? And some of us, some of us have been formed. I would say this, that in many ways, all of us have been formed by the words we've listened to. They have created for us a set of core beliefs by which we view ourselves. And so it is really, really important that we select wisely the words we speak over our children, especially, and then over our uh, marriage uh, partners, those of us who are married, um, the words we speak into the life of this congregation. It's really important that we choose life-giving words because they can wound. So here's how it happens, right? You know this, it's not rocket science. Words can be spoken directly and they can be harsh and cutting words. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. The words we speak can either bring life or they can bring death. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is life and death in the spoken word. And sometimes they just can be weaponized and they they pierce us. Um, Here's one of the big challenges 
all of us face in this room is that we are creatures who are think we thinking creatures. Um, our cognitions matter what we meditate on, think about, um, but our emotions are very, very real and they change and move fast. And some emotions can be incredibly intense. And when we are moved by our emotions, sometimes we have to express it. And it's appropriate for us to identify our emotions, pay attention to what we're feeling, and then name it so that we don't allow it to rule us and to tell us or to drive how we behave. And so we need to just slow things down, pay attention. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling disappointed. Sometimes it's hard to get words for the emotions we feel, but if we can actually identify it, then it won't have power over us and move from our hearts and our minds over our lips, and then the wound gets peddled and spread far and wide. And so I think we do need to be careful to pay attention to our thoughts and to our emotions. They're like waves. They come and they go, and we need to be aware to sit with them so that they're not reckless. And then, so this is the direct side of our words. There's the indirect side of our words. Um, I'm going to speak to something that I think all of us can say, this is a challenge. Um, Indirectly, gossip and slander. Ever been slandered before? Ever heard via the grapevine that people have been talking about you in some way? Um, First of all, let's clarify our terms. What is slander? Slander is making false and damaging statements about someone where we literally steal their reputation. We're like murdering their reputation. It's when we make false and damaging statements about someone. This can really, really wound. Uh, If you've ever tasted a slanderous accusation, it can be enough to keep you up at night and can be enough to make you incredibly angry and frustrated and incredibly sad at the same time. And so slander is very, very serious. Gossip, this is casual conversations often or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. But for some reason, we enjoy it. So why do we gossip? Why do we actually do it? Okay, well, let's let's maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, Here's three reasons. There's probably more, but three that I'm aware of why people gossip. And it's not those other people. It's why we gossip. Um, we want to belong to a group. So if I have information, I get to share it, I'm going to have the attention of people. And they're going to listen to me, and I'm going to feel valuable. And they're they're going to kind of in turn attach to me. Because as we share information, a shared experience bonds me to someone. So it's my way, our way, of actually bonding to a community or to a friend or a peer group. So it's one of our ways of saying, I want to reach out, and I want to belong, and I want to connect, and I'll do it through this means. That's the one, one of the reasons why. The second reason why is because we're simply bored. <laughs> we're bored. And we entertain ourselves by talking about other people. And uh, the third reason is because um, we, we try to protect the group. So this community or this group of people has these kinds of standards, and we don't want this group to be infected with anything that's going to dilute what we hold in common. So if somebody's from the outside, we'll, we'll treat them in such a way so that we keep them at the outside. So we'll talk poorly about them. It's a way of almost policing the community. 
celebrating the values, holding, holding the group um, together. And, and it's problematic. It's very problematic. And, and it, it's, its damage is far-reaching. Um, and so we need to really, really pay attention. Uh, Proverbs, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. I speak with a friend of mine. Um, I'm actually meeting with him on Thursday. We've been getting together every month for not quite 30 years. Everything I say to him is in the vault. That's what we, we call it. There's a vault. And only he and I have the, the code. And we, we speak with each other knowing that I've got your back. Whatever you tell me, nobody else is ever going to hear about this. It's between me and you. And it's mutual. It's a wonderful thing to have somebody who puts something in the vault. That's why people go and see pastors. That's why people go and see counselors, because they need someone to hear something that's deeply personal and perhaps deeply painful, where they can get insight, of course, but to just be seen and understood and um, validated. That's why people do it. And counselors and pastors, for the most part, like there are legal, legal checks and balances um, that things are, in, things are in the vault. And um, so that's, that's something that's really important. But I think we can offer that to each other, not just in professional relationships, but in friendships, where we can truly say, I got your back. So a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 16, a perverse man or a woman stirs up conflict, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Uh, Proverbs 17.9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. And then this is a New Testament idea too, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For I am afraid that when I come, this is the Apostle Paul, I won't like what I find, and you won't like my response. I am afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. So Paul is concerned about what's happening in the first century church. And uh, so words matter because they can uh, carry power to wound people and to wound them significantly. All right, let's finish with this, number three. Words matter because they hold out potential to help and heal people. Um, People are starving for life-giving words. Sincerely spoken. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here. I don't know if I need another microphone or not, but if I continue to annoy you, let me know in the front row and I'll change my microphone. Um, People are starving, aren't they? For life-giving words, sincerely spoken. Um, I, I love it when I sit with somebody and I feel this, it feels like it's a prompting from the spirit for me. And I speak something to them. It's not about reading their mail and it's not about what's coming next in their life. It's about drawing their attention to how beautifully God has made them. You should see it. You should try it, actually. See what happens in someone's face when you begin to speak genuine, sincere, life-giving, spirit-prompted words to another person. They open up. They start to believe the best about themselves again. They start leaning in with hope into the future. You know, some, some of us have come from families where we've been beaten down for so long. Words were weaponized. They were cruel words, abusive words, actually, that really extinguished the flame or the spark that the spirit wanted to ignite in you. And so we have to do some work of 
recognizing. This is the analogy I share with people. I shared it with someone earlier this week. Words come at us. Those of you who are sports fans and understand the idea of catching a baseball, somebody's throwing a ball at you and you got a glove on, right? You can't control somebody throwing a ball at you, but you got a glove and you catch it. Um, it's good to catch it. Sometimes they catch us off guard and we can't catch it and, it and it may knock us off our feet, perhaps. The analogy breaks down a little bit here, but when the ball gets thrown to us, words that are spoken, we should always catch them. It's kind of like self-protective love. I'm not going to let every word that gets spoken just get right into my spirit. All right, I'm going to catch these words that are spoken like a ball into my ball glove, and I'm going to open up my glove, and I'm going to take it out. This is humility, and this is about learning. Nobody has it all together, and somebody might speak a tough word to us, and we want to reject it. But the way of wisdom and the way of being teachable and growing sometimes is looking at really hard words and applying it to our soul, right? This was, this was a tough ball to catch, but I, I need to look at it, and I don't really like it, but I think there's some truth in this. Apply it to my heart. Other times, people say things, and they just have to be caught, self-protective action, look at it. This is nonsense. This is garbage. This is literally lit on fire by hell itself. And instead of applying it to my soul, I reject it. Throw it away. Just get rid of that. This is, this is not a life word. This is a death word. Isn't that what Jesus did last week, Pastor Gary? All right. Get behind me, Satan. I'm on a mission here to lay down my life for the human family. And he says, that'll never happen to you. And he immediately says, I don't receive that word. I'm, I'm going to reject that idea because that's not consistent with the Father's will and his calling over my life. So do we say that to people all the time? I reject that word. I, no, I, I don't think so. Maybe sometimes it's appropriate. Um, but I've rejected all sorts of words. I've had people say things about me to me, and I say, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not kind. No, that's not, that's not the whole story. That's not what that was. And by the way, just in case you think leaders get a free pass, I don't think so. Uh, I listened to uh, Tim Keller in a podcast with Kerry Newhoff this week. And Tim Keller, um, do you know Tim Keller? He's a former pastor in New York City, great writer. Um, anyway, he is sort of retired, whatever that means for him right now, because he's pretty active. But pray for him. He's got pancreatic cancer. And he's had it for two years, which uh, he thanks God for the grace that's been afforded him. But he was talking a little bit about that, but, but mostly about other things with, with Kerry Newhoff. And uh, they were talking about, because both of them are leaders, he says, you'd be amazed how much stuff is written about you on the internet and uh, by other people who are just throwing rocks at you and stuff. And, and uh, so, um, and he said, then Tim Keller said, he with a good sense of humor, he said, uh, that's only by the ones who know how to spell your name properly. <laughs> There's a whole other list of websites and comments that are made of people you've never seen them before because they misspelled your name. And then Carrie Newhoff said, and that's probably a good thing, isn't it? Because he's never seen them and he hasn't gone looking for them to read them. But leaders can have some hard words spoken to them and about them. And um, developing, this is, this is not easy. And, and I'm, I'm, you know that I'm a vulnerable pastor, right? I've always been an open and vulnerable person. This is the way I lead. Um, as a younger person, I would take things much more personally. As I'm getting older, um, I've had some help, some outside help along the way. And it's more art than science. Stay tender, right? But my therapist even said this to me. Stay tender, David, but make sure you toughen up the soul, right? Stay tender, always feel. 
Feel the feels, but make sure you have enough toughness about you that you don't get knocked over with everybody who shares their opinion about you. One of the wisest things someone told me once was criticism or rejection is simply someone's opinion. And so we have to say to ourselves, what is it that God thinks about me? That is the governing big idea of my life. You've heard me say this many times. I'll say it again. And I hope by the time I retire one day, whenever that is, that all of us can recite this because it's so beautiful. I say it so many times throughout the week. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what other people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. And no one can take that away from me. Therefore, I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. What a beautiful affirmation that is. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what other people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take that away from me. Then the rest of my life flows out of that, right? All right, let's land this talk. Pastors are known for landing the plane off the runway about six times, so let's put this one down here. Um, Words matter because they hold out potential to help and heal people. Three scripture verses for you really quickly. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Um, These are words that build and they can give strength to a weary soul. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, underline those two words, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and we all have them, that it may benefit those who listen. Words that build can give strength to a weary soul. Secondly, kind words can provide dignity, respect, and can contribute to a confident hope. Ephesians 4, instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I love that. There's the tenderhearted piece, right? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted. And then finally, and this one is just showing restraint. The absence of words can be an expression of great love when you choose not to say anything. My mom tells me about my grandfather, who was such a great man. She says, what a great way to be remembered. My mom says, when she's speaking about her dad, she says, my dad never said a negative, cruel thing about anyone. I was like, that is so beautiful. Isn't that awesome? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, right? That's the way many of us were raised. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. It can be a wonderful expression of love to just hold our tongue and not say anything because the absence of words can be an expression of great love and above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. People can be offside, they can step on your toes, they can um, do all sorts of things that are in the category of not right. I think if you and I spend the rest of our lives chasing people down and telling them how wrong they are and that they shouldn't have done this and do you not know what happened when you, we're gonna spend the rest of our lives tormented as the cosmic scorekeeper. And, and we're gonna be correcting people all over the place. Sometimes we just say, Holy Spirit, you're way better at dealing with people than I am. So I just ask you just to be unleashed on that person and give them what they need, right? They have enough of me. They need more of you. And, and let, the, let the spirit speak to them. Um, okay, so here is something you can take with you this week. And with this, we'll wrap up. Before you speak this week, you might want to write this one down or put it in your phone or something. Ask yourself three questions. Um, Is it true 
before you say it, is it true? Uh, I'm not going to speak falsely about somebody else. I'm not going to twist the truth. Is it true? And we know what truth is. Well, somebody else told me about it. Well, that doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> right? Is it true, first of all? And secondly, is it necessary? Do I need to say this? And maybe I don't need to say this. Is it necessary? Sometimes we just like to hear ourselves talk, right? Is it true? Is it necessary? And then what I'm about to say, is it kind? Is it kind? If it's not kind, don't say it. And um, you're going to find this is the way life works. The law of sowing and reaping, we are all growing a garden that we live in. Right? We're planting seed all the time, and it's all around us. Sometimes we don't think we're living in the garden, but we are. Whatever we're planting in the garden of our life grows up to either bless us or curse us. So plant good seed all around you. Just keep planting it. It's going to grow up. It's going to bless you. There'll be a fragrance that comes off of it. It'll nourish you. Don't plant bad seeds. You know why? They're prickly. They're uncomfortable. They choke out life. They're just no fun to be around. So plant good seed. And the best way to plant good seed is to say good things. So we are contributing to the voices, right? We're talking, turn down the volume, right? We want to listen to the guiding voice of the spirit. And we want to be, you know, recognize the source, all of these things. Very, very important. But then all of a sudden I step back and say, well, what, what contribution am I making to the voices that are out there? And what contribution are you making? Is it qualitatively beneficial or is it qualitatively problematic? And whether you're a man or a woman in this room, we all speak about the same amount of words. Maybe we should reduce them a little bit, perhaps, and we'll sin less. And if we can improve the quality of them, we'll improve the garden of our own life and the garden of others' lives, too. And if we all did that, this would be a place like paradise. But our words can damage things. All right. Thank you for being a church, by the way, that protects the unity of the spirit. Uh, we invite you to do that. We expect you to do that. Uh, it's important that when we're in the lobby, we're finding life-giving words to speak with each other and throughout the week. And remember, it's not just the words we speak, it's the words we post. They don't count the same, do they, Pastor Dave, if I post them on Facebook? Well, they're out there forever. At least if you say words, somebody might forget them to some degree, but they're out there on uh, the internet and they're wreaking havoc. So let's be kind with our approach to social media too, right?